would ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the 14th chapter of the Gospel according to John. John chapter 14. We're working our way through this chapter, this part of the farewell discourse of our Lord Jesus. And our attention will be brought to the words that our Lord speaks in verses 25 and 26 this morning, where Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We've been looking at this passage of Scripture in which our Lord is ministering comfort to his distressed people. Those who have been following him for three and a half years, who have grown to love him and to depend upon him, have heard his words, first spoken to the Jewish people that where he goes, he's going to be leaving, and where he goes, they cannot follow. So he told them, Where I'm going, you cannot come. Of course, he meant by that, he's going to the Father. He's going to the Father through the cross. The death of the cross is something he alone can do, and certainly the ascension into the presence of the Father was something only he can do. Only he, only of him could it be said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. But in his absence, our Lord has made it clear already that he would pray the Father to give them another helper. He has been their helper. He has been the one that they've looked to, the one they've trusted in, the one they've been taught by. And now as he ascends to the Father, he will pray the Father to give them another helper, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, but they will receive, because Jesus says he's been with you, and that likely would mean that he was with them in the person of Jesus. But he will also be in you. He will be... uh, making you the very temple of the Holy Spirit, the very tabernacle of God. The presence of God will be not just around them and about them, but in them, as God himself will dwell in them through the Holy Spirit. And that's a great promise that's given. But our Lord is also desirous that they would know more of what the Spirit has come to do. So it's not only that this is a section of Scripture where Jesus promises the gift will be given, rejoice, you will receive the Holy Spirit, But he also wants them to know what the work of the Holy Spirit is designed to do. And it's that aspect of the truth of this this chapter that I want to underscore uh, this morning. Again, the spirit that had been with them in the person of Jesus and would soon be in them would be the spirit that in chapter 20 Jesus would breathe and say receive the Holy Spirit. And then they would also see the Spirit given at Pentecost. And I don't know the way in which you exactly fit those two givings of the Spirit together. It may well be that the giving of the Spirit to the Twelve was what Jesus did when he breathed on them in chapter 20 of John. And then the wider grouping of 120 received the Spirit in the upper room. Uh, Something like that might be the explanation. But the point of it is that the ascended Christ will send forth the Spirit and the Spirit will come to do a specific work. He says to them in the words of verse 25, These things I have spoken to you 
while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus presents the Spirit and his work in terms of what appears to be in the very words themselves, a continuity that exists between Jesus' ministry with them these three and a half years and what the Spirit will come to do. There is continuity between the work of the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that when Jesus speaks of the Spirit coming, he speaks of him coming as the one whom the Father will send in my name. The Spirit is the sent one. Now where do you get that language? Where have you heard that language before? Well, it's because in John's Gospel, Jesus is betrayed as the sent one. Jesus is the one who has been sent by the Father, who has been sent from the glory he had with him, from the foundation of the world, to come into the world. He says to his disciples in chapter 20, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. He is the sent one. And he's going to send these disciples into the world to continue the ministry that he had begun. But their ability to continue that, that, that work had need of what exactly Jesus says now he would supply. The Father will now send the Spirit in my name. So the Spirit would come as Jesus leaves. Now, of course, Jesus will not leave them entirely because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for them, being a paraclete or an advocate in heaven for them, as the Spirit comes to them on earth to dwell with them as the Spirit of the risen Christ. And that continuity is expressed by the fact that both of them have been sent by the Father. The Father will send the Spirit, even as the Father has sent me. And the Father will send the Spirit, he says, in my name. He doesn't come on his own authority. He doesn't come to do his own thing. Now this is something that we need to underscore. When I was a young Christian, one of the things that people said to me was how this whole matter of the Christian faith worked. Is that I believed in Jesus and that was wonderful, that was good. And that got me a good portion of the blessings God intended for me. But I didn't have the whole thing just yet. Because God had something more for me and that more for me that he had for me was the Holy Spirit. And then they put me through this uh, bit of an interesting exercise in which they prayed me through to get the Holy Spirit and to speak in tongues. And, uh, you know, I knew there was something kind of suspect in the way I was sort of coached into this experience, you know, when I was being told exactly what to do to get the blessing. Uh, Jesus says, I'll pray the Father and he will give it. Jesus says, the Father will send the Spirit in my name doesn't seem to be that it's something that's very, very complex. The scripture tells us that having received the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God gives his spirit to believers in Jesus. And the spirit comes to do the work that Jesus began upon earth in his ministry for his people, in his doing and in his dying ascending to the right hand of the majesty on high now the disciples that are sent forth into the world need the very presence of God in them and with them to be doing the work that they are called upon to do now think of it um, 
they had Jesus for these three and a half years to resolve their problems. They had Jesus for three and a half years to impart to them wisdom. They had Jesus for three and a half years to direct them in that which they were to do. And now they're being sent into the world to make disciples of the nations, to establish his church, to figure out how to resolve problems. How are they going to do this on their own? They didn't have the resources. God's going to grant them the resources. He's going to grant them the resources in the reality of his own presence in them and with them through the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit comes as the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit comes as the Spirit of the Father. Because the work of God for the salvation of the world is a Trinitarian work. The Father sends the Son and the Spirit into the world to achieve our salvation. And any good that mere mortals can do it was, is what's done that's firmly rooted in an allegiance to and dependent upon and independence upon the work of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And the Spirit's work is never detached from the Son. He's not an independent agent. The help of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. The Spirit operates in the name of the Son. He operates as the Spirit of the risen Christ. There's the closest of all possible relationships we could ever conceive of between the interpersonal relations of the members of the triune God. He says, in that day you will know, he said this earlier, that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and I in you. And the Father is in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in the Son, just as certainly as there is that union that is established between the triune God and His people. There's, it mirrors that union that is in God Himself. As Jesus and the Father are one, so we are to be one in the church. As Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are one, so unity is to be expressed um, as we... Um, as we maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The closest of possible relationships exist between the members of the triune God. In chapter 16 we read that the Spirit will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears He will speak, He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So there's simply no place for discontinuity. You get Jesus first and you get the Spirit and they're doing different things in different ways. No, it's one salvation that comes to us through the gift of the Son and the gift of the Spirit. Through the Father sending the Son and the sending the Spirit into the world. And so we conceive of the work of the Spirit and should conceive of the work of the Spirit as a work of continuity between the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit, and continuity between Jesus coming into the world and then giving the Spirit as a subsequent reality in his people's lives. He's come to work in the name of the Son as another one sent, proceeding from the Father. Now the second thing the passage tells us about the work of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit whom the Father would send in the name of the Son is the Spirit who will, Jesus says, quote, teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, when I was a young believer, I would frequently encounter folks. I think you encounter them today, but I simply remember lots of interactions I had with people uh, who 
His habits of church attendance kind of ranged from lax to non-existent. And when I would endeavor to invite them to church and they tell me things like, oh, I'll pray if the Lord will lead me to go to church tomorrow. And I'd say, look, you don't have to pray about it. It's something commanded, not to recite the assembling of yourselves together. But they would say, well, yeah, church is okay. You know, if I feel the need to worship, I'm going to worship the Lord on my own. But you need to come to hear the word of God. And they would often respond, why do I need to go hear the word of God? Jesus has said he would give the Spirit, and the Spirit would teach me all things. I don't need the church. I don't need the ministry of the Word. I don't need teachers and preachers. I have the Holy Spirit, and I have the promise of God that when the Spirit comes, He will teach me all things. Well, I came to have a standard response to that line of reasoning. I would simply say to them, well, just one of the things that Jesus said to you has the Spirit come to remind you of. Now, nothing you know, that you hear in the inner ear. Something that actually Jesus said to you. Because that's what Jesus says in the same promise. Because Jesus is talking about people who have been with him for three and a half years. People who would be his apostles. And a lot of the words that are spoken in chapter 15 of John's Gospel are simply not spoken to all believers. Now, there's application we can make to all believers, but the words that are spoken to a group of people who would do a special work in the founding of the church, in the planting of the church in the world, in the getting the gospel right and straight and putting it to writing in our New Testaments. And they had to be a people that would have special promises given to them. We speak of apostolic authority because we believe that there are certain people called apostles who possessed an absolute authority in the church. And when apostles spoke, you needed to hear them. Because apostles walked with Jesus. Apostles were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. To an apostle, it could be fulfilled, this promise that Jesus made. When he comes, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to remembrance all the things I've spoken to you. Three and a half years of hearing Jesus' words. Three and a half years of hearing Jesus speak. We tend to be forgetful. Especially today in the world in which we live. We're not good auditory learners because we simply can stick it in our, in our computers or in our tablets and have it access there. But in the ancient world where they didn't have such things, you know what they would do? They would try to memorize everything as much as they could, he- as much as they could hear. But now they wouldn't necessarily be dependent on whether their memories were completely right because God would give them an added blessing. God would give them the added benefit that the Spirit would be given to them with a special mission for them them. And that special mission is that they would remember the things that Jesus said. So they wouldn't get it wrong. You see an instance of this earlier on in chapter 2 of John's Gospel. Remember when Jesus said destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews heard that and said, what, what crazy stuff is this man saying? This took 46 years for Herod to build the buildings of the temple. He's going to raise it up in three days? And then it says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, they remembered. There was a remembrance ministry that was given to them through the Spirit that not only brought to mind the words that Jesus spoke, but also enabled them to understand the meaning of the words that Jesus spoke. 
So that when Jesus was raised from the dead, they remembered the words of Jesus and they understood. He wasn't speaking about the temple buildings. He wasn't speaking about the architectural temple. He was speaking about the temple of his body. He was the temple. God's presence was in him. He possessed the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He, you know, you don't have to go to a temple to meet with, with God. You need to go to Jesus to meet with God. He's the way of approach to the Father. This he's the temple, the point of contact, the point of meeting, the place of meeting. The Old Testament, the ta- temple was it, it had two things. The tabernacle in the wilderness was called two things. It was called the, the dwelling of God, place of God. It was God's house. God dwelt there. His special presence was there. His omnipresence is everywhere. But his special presence in Israel was at the temple. But you know, in the book of Exodus, as you move along, that place that first was called the house of God, the temple of God, you know what it became? The same place was referred to as the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting. That house became a meeting place. The place where Israel met with God. The place where Moses met with God and heard the words of God. Jesus says he's the place of meeting. He's the place of contact. He's the place of drawing near. We draw near to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the Spirit brought to remembrance that. And this, that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit brought the words of Jesus to remembrance. And then also in chapter 2, it, it also said, and the Spirit, and they, they, they remembered not only that, but also that the Scriptures had said, the zeal for your house has eaten me up. And that's an interesting insight, isn't it? Right in the context, we're, we're told that there was a ministry that they received of remembrance, of remembering the words of Jesus and remembering the meaning and understanding the meaning of the words of Jesus. Also, told they remembered that the scriptures had said. So, when the Spirit comes to be the remembrancer, He doesn't only bring to mind the words of Jesus. So, it's not just the words in red, folks. It's not just going out and get a red letter edition of your Bible. Read the red, pray for the power, everything's okay. You've got to read the whole Bible. You've got to read the whole Bible, not just the red. Because they remembered that Prophet Jeremiah, I'm sorry, it was the psalm that said, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. The Prophet Jeremiah said the other thing, You've made the house of God a den of thieves. But the Spirit of God brings to the mind the Scriptures. Spirit works, again, not independently of Jesus, but also not independently of the Word. The words of Jesus and the words of God. The Spirit is the one who inspired those words. I were told holy men of God spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit's work in the prophets of old. And the Holy Spirit that comes to us is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the risen and glorified Jesus. He's not going to come and contradict his previous work. He's not going to contradict his previous work of inspiring the prophets, inspiring the scriptures to be written. So the Holy Spirit is going to be closely attached to, in his work of remembrancer, in his work of teacher, to the whole counsel of God. And so we're given the promise, not of the Spirit to teach us all things. Again, you know, the Spirit hasn't come to teach us quantum physics. He hasn't come to teach us nuclear physics. He hasn't come to teach us, uh, you know, I think some preachers think the Spirit's come to teach us everything about everything. Because they have opinions about everything. 
Economists don't understand the economy, the preachers think they do. And there are all kinds of opinions from the pulpits about, about the economy. Uh, preachers, a lot of times, they, they move out of their lane. But the lane in which the spirits promise to be a teacher is clearly in the area of the doing of the work that God has given us to do. Here are these men given this work of Jesus. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And now they had this Jesus with them to solve their problems, to answer their questions, to give them guidance, understanding and insight. And now he was leaving. And Jesus is saying, in essence, don't, don't fear. For all the things you ordinarily would come to me to learn, I'm going to give you the Spirit, and you're going to go to Him for those very things. It's in the context of all the sorts of things that disciples would go to their Master to learn about the ways in which they're to conduct the work He's given them to do. It's not an absolute promise about knowing all things. Because we don't know all theology, folks. We really don't. Even if we know the confession of faith, we don't know all theology. We don't know all that we need to know in ourselves or in one another. We need help outside of ourselves. And that helper primarily is the Holy Spirit that we go to to teach us the things we need to know. There's wonderful promises the Bible gives with respect to how the Spirit works, sometimes in times of great distress and need. You think of how Jesus says they'll bring you before governors and kings for my namesake. And now if you would be brought before governors and kings for his namesake, you'd be somewhat in fear and trepidation about what in the world am I going to say when the governor and king calls me before them to give an account of my faith in Christ. And he says, don't lose sleep about it. No, he doesn't say that, but he does say, don't be concerned. Don't be overly concerned about what you will say because it will be given you in that hour what to say. God gives us his spirit to give us an ability to do his will the hour that he calls us to go through the circumstance and situation that's needed. You know, often I've experienced that in the ministry when I've counseled people and been in the, in the position of having to give advice when I didn't have a clue about what to say to people. And uh, just the re- reality that uh, yeah, I've wondered, where in the world did that come from? Where in the world did that come from? Not uh, a few sermons also had those elements in that. Where did that come from? I didn't have a clue that I would ever say that, but I did. And you know, I'm glad I said it because it's true. Where did that come from? The spirit of truth. Whom the Father sends gives us an ability to speak his truth faithfully. But again, it's in that area that all things that are need- needed, all things that will make us capable and competent, able as ministers of the new covenant. And that was true for the apostles, and that's true for us as well. So when we think of the gift, when we think of the work of the Spirit, we need to be thinking in terms of the work of the one who comes to do the work that Jesus began to do, who comes to bring the work of Jesus to its culmination in the worldwide spread of the message of Jesus, the worldwide spread of the evangel, where we need the Spirit's enablement to speak the word, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. It's the Holy Spirit that aids us in ministry. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us enablement in prayer, that we can pray in the Spirit, 
that we can labor in the Spirit, we can be guided by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to do all those works for us, all the things that Jesus would do for his disciples if he was with us in the flesh. The Spirit undertakes those ministries for us. Again, not by little soft voices in our inner ear, but again, by the words of Scripture, by the words that Christ has spoken, by the acts of Christ, by the example of Christ. I think we sang the hymn this morning, didn't we? The Spirit breathes upon the Word and brings the truth to sight. That's what the Spirit of God does. And so for us, the Spirit teaches us and brings to us brings to our minds the words of Jesus through the scriptures Um, but it doesn't end there because you know this matter of the spread of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit has been going on for about 2,000 years right has the spirit been working prior to 2022 yeah I think so has he been working just in modern America Or was he working in ancient Alexandria through people like Athanasius and through people like Clement and even Origen, though he's kind of questionable theologically. Brandon is a heretic, and yet yet he wrote uh, 30 volumes on the book of Isaiah. Origen wrote 30 volumes on the book of Isaiah. And then the Catholic Church decided to brand him as a heretic and burned his book, so we don't have it. I'd love to have those 35s and know what in the world he wrote. But my point to you is the Spirit has been working through Spirit-filled people in the history of the Church. And they're part of our heritage, folks. They're part of the understanding and learning and expounding of the great themes of God's Word and the great themes of Gospel reality and Gospel truth that we ought to draw upon. We just can't think of ourselves as Latter-day Saints. We're not. We're not Mormons, and we don't believe in some Latter-day revelation that supersedes everything that came before. We need the law, we need the prophets, and we need the whole history. Uh, We need the apostles, of course, and we need the whole history of Christian interpretation that the Spirit uses to enlighten and to instruct and to build the church up and to bring the church to greater and greater measures of maturity. And so I do believe, as Christians that live in 2022, we don't have any excuse not to have a lot more understanding of God's Word than previous generations have had because, as they say, we see as far so far because we stand on the shoulders of great men. Right? And then also we have things like the computer to bring so much information to our understanding. Just in a click of a mouse, it's astounding what we have available to us as God's people. And to whom much is given, of them shall much be required. But I want to conclude this morning with just a couple of brief takeaways. Again, remembering that the Spirit's work is the work that's continuous with the work of Jesus. It's not in any way independent of that work. It's the work of... um, enabling his people to succeed in the work of the spread of the gospel. And particularly it's a work of remembrancer and teacher, bringing to a mind um, the things of scripture, the things of Jesus' ministry, and um, also bringing instruction to us as the people of God. 
And the first thing I'd like to say by way of a takeaway is simply this. Remember to use, use the word remember. Again, the Spirit is a remembrancer, so I think it's wise as we leave this morning to um, have certain things in our mind. Have some things the Spirit will, again, bring to our mind again and again and again. And the first thing is simply this. Remember how dependent we are upon the work of the Holy Spirit. In continuing the work that Jesus did when he came into the world bringing his salvation the church bringing that salvation to, and his teaching to the nations again church advance is not facilitated by political movements it's not the arm of the state that's going to bring the church to advance in the world or protect the church from its enemies it's not the display of human power and charisma it's not advanced by clever marketing strategies or by the use of business models that uh, tell us how to best sell the gospel as you would sell a line of clothing this is God's work and it's a work that's accomplished not by might and not by power but by my spirit says the Lord quoting the book of Zechariah it's a work that's carried out as a work that's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against unseen realities. And we need the help and support and wisdom and understanding supplied by the Spirit of God to make the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but mighty through God for the casting down of strongholds, to make those weapons effective, to make us able to pray as we should pray have a heart to pray, to have an enablement to pray. The Spirit helps us in our infirmities, we're told in Romans by interceding for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. The groanings of the heart. The Spirit's able to take all the inarticulate groanings of our soul. The things we don't know how to pray as we should pray. He brings them before the Lord that our prayers would be intelligible and our prayers would be wondrous and glorious even though we think they're so weak and feeble. The Spirit of God is at work in interceding for us through those prayers. The Spirit is at work in us, equipping us, giving us the graces that we need to live godly in Christ Jesus, to live joyfully in Christ Jesus. Spirit's graces are given that we might love, that we might be at peace, not be a people just so filled with troubles that all the Troubles within and without that we have to run to sedation to help us get through the day. I, I grant you, sometimes some people need that kind of help, but just to put you back in some kind of level playing field. But ultimately, it's the peace of the Spirit that is given to us to bring our hearts to rest in God, to rest in His grace. We have a church that is so uh, compromised in that it, it depends upon. Uh, again, human agendas and human resources rather than the great resource God's given to us in His Holy Spirit. So remember your dependence upon the Spirit of God and live out that dependence with confidence that this God is a God who will supply all of your needs in accordance with your, His riches and glory. And then, never forget, always remember, the close connection between the Spirit and the Son and the Scriptures. The Spirit is never not to be found in places where the Scriptures are not found. 
or the place where the sun is not being magnified. Places that give short shrift to the word of God and to the Christ of God, replacing that with some wonderful experience, this feeling-oriented experience. It may seem wonderful and impressive, but the Spirit's given to glorify Christ. The Spirit's given to reveal Christ. The Spirit's given to bring us into a deeper bond with and love for and commitment to the Christ in whom is all of our hope to be found. Don't accept anything that's devoid of God's truth. It empties its perspective of God's word, the full counsel of the word of God. I mentioned in Sunday school, I was talking to somebody at the wedding about the way in which we could look at American entrepreneurialism as a great way to advance the work of the church and the world. And I listen to the pitch, and I just simply respond, well, that's fine and good, but I've seen places in which that perspective has been adopted. I know the first thing that has to go is a lot of the truth of the Word of God. Because if you're looking to appeal to the masses in terms of what they're looking for and what they want, people don't want the Word of God until God makes them want them. God has to change the wanter. He has to change the desire of the heart. And so the first thing to go is the truth of the Word of God, and then comes in its place is some form of uh, entertainment that will be palatable to the masses. Watch American TV on any given night in America, and just you don't you don't see things that are going to improve your your mind and improve your understanding of re- history and reality. And no, it's entertainment that's so bland and so designed to titillate emotions and, 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 and lustful sentiments, but, but not to enrich the soul. Television hasn't gone and improved any since I think it was Newton B. Minow, was uh, JFK's uh, Secretary of Interior, I think it was, who made the comment about TV being the great wasteland of America. And even though we have cable and many, many, many more channels, still the programming hasn't improved But the church is not to use TV as our model for how to entertain the masses in order to bring them in. We have a biblical model. Let's hold fast to it. Let's be informed by scripture and trust in the word of God through the spirit of God to affect the work that only God can do. We want to be a people that will look at the work of the church when it becomes big and glorious and wonderful in the world and say, this is the hand of God. Nothing else can explain this, but this is the finger of God. This is what God has done. And I'm content to labor for my own 30, 40 years in ministry, have a relatively small church, but we've stuck together, haven't we? Through thick and thin, supported by God's word. That's going to be an amazing thing when we get to glory, and we stand with Christ in glory. And there's been no tricks, no sleight of hand, no underhanded means to get us to stay together. It's just simply God's word brought us together. God's word and God's spirit will keep us together until we get to glory and rejoice in the presence of our great God and our great King. Jesus says, I've been with you. But now I'm going. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, The Father will send in my name.
he will lead you into the truth. And he will bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I've spoken to you. Let's live in the light of the Spirit and his ministry, his work in us and through us, to the glory of the name of the great God of heaven and earth, our triune God. Let's go before his presence in prayer. Father, we're thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit. We're thankful that we can be a people dependent upon his presence and grace. We're thankful that, Lord, we're happy and we're satisfied. It's adequate, truly adequate, that we have your presence with us. That's the great end of living in this world. It's the great goal we're heading towards, to be in the presence of our God and of our King. We thank you that you have not left us orphans. You have not left us empty and to go it on our own, to figure out a way of doing the work of the kingdom in our own wisdom, in our own ingenuity, by our own resources. You've given us the all-sufficient resource and the giving of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. So help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to be led by the Spirit. Help us to labor in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hope in the hope of seeing great and wondrous things that you will do through the Word, by the Spirit, to the glory of the name of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. Hear our prayers as we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.